Hey, Rockheads, it's time again for NDC, an incredible developer conference held annually in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will both be there, of course, but check out this all-star lineup. Troy Hunt, Rob Eisenberg, Scott Allen, Oren Eni, Michelle Bustamante, Damian Edwards, Brock Allen, Dominic Beyer, and many more. Register before March 11th at ndc-oslo.com and save up to $350. That's 3,000 kroner for you Norwegians. NDC, we'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1268, with guest Jeremy Miller. Recorded Thursday, February 18th, 2016. Hey, get down rock and roll. It's time for .NET Rocks again. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Cavill. And uh, here we are. Jeremy Miller is going to be here in a few minutes. We're going to be talking about uh, Martin on Postgres and talk all about that good stuff that's happening out there. You're still in the middle of uh, repairs, are you not? Yeah. You know, the basement flooded back in late November, put an inch of water across the whole place. So... Uh, seven rooms needed their flooring removed and the walls cut out. And, and now we're trying to reassemble it all, you know, after drying everything out and playing games with insurance companies. I have my general contractor, the guy who actually built this house, uh, repairing the damage and, and then we're making a few changes. Well, I hope they're good. I'm going to come up and see you after it's done. Absolutely. Give it the old test. Anyway, so if you hear a bit of noise in the background, that's just me. Okay. Are we going to hear power tools? I hope not. I've convinced them that using power tools is inappropriate while I'm recording. Because, of course, <laughs> I, I don't have my studio. It was in the basement, right? So now right, right. kind of just recording out on the main floor. We'll cut you some slack, Campbell. Well, if, if folks who've been listening for a long time remember the, the fish tank series. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> fish tank decided to explode. Yeah. After the fish tank blew up, the several months worth of that. And I think the Mondays in that era, too, were very drunk Mondays. Mondays? What's that? I don't know what you're talking about. I have no about. idea. Uh, let's roll Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? I have something that came across my desk. Uh, it's a product. I don't have it, but it's it promises to be so revolutionary that I thought it was worth talking about. If you go to 1268.pwop.me, I've started uh, using I those. love this new naming strategy, dude. Yeah, it's easy. This is show, show 1268, so it's 1268.pwop.me. Circuit Scribe. Interesting. Circuitscribe.com. Yes, what is this, you say? Well, I can draw circuits with a special pen. Nice. On special paper. And they work. With special modules. With special modules. That's right. Interesting idea. Yeah. Well, making uh, electronics a little more uh, crafty. Yeah, and just accessible. Like, you could go into a middle school with something like this without... For sure soldering or anything like that just sort of do stuff well you know and this speaks to i think we're we're 10 years away or so maybe less from seeing electronics simply embedded in our clothing yeah or embedded in our skin mm. you know how much longer before you you know that that uh, microsoft band you're wearing is a tattoo 
Yeah, sure is interesting. It is but there's also it? there's all sorts of sensors you can use. Nine volt battery, USB, photo sensor, potentiometers, buzzers, LEDs, motors. Very very makery. Yeah, another makery type kit, but the the pen just yeah, like I said, makes it a little more approachable. Yeah. No right. wires. Well, if somebody, drawing. if one of you uh, fun listeners out there want to go ahead and get this, if you decide to, and, you know, send us an email. Tell us what you think of it. I don't I don't think I'll be getting it, but somebody else might want to do that. It's too many things. So much time. Yep. All right. All right, Richard. Who's talking to us today? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 957 when we did with Rob Connery. Yeah. Uh, back in 2014 when we, talk, when we were talking about Biggie. And I right. mentioned it because that Biggie was his own data store, and he it was also a wrapper over top of Postgres, although right. it can be a wrapper over top of a bunch of different things. Right. So we ended up talking a bit about Postgres there. But there was this particular comment that I grabbed that I thought was r- really related to what we we're going to talk about today. This is from Matt Robald, and granted, like a couple of years ago. I really love this episode. Rob's point about documents for data that, once a transaction is completed, should be pretty much immutable really solidified some things in my head. Mm. Richard pointed out that Rob's piece on needing to have things like financial records that don't change as the other related records change being another feature of a non-fully normalized database as my head was nodding so vigorously, I practically need to pull over my car on my way to work in the morning. Apparently, other people just scream at the machine, too, <laughs> which upsets the people driving beside you, but, you know, then you don't crash. Uh, yeah. We're in the process of overhauling, read pretty much completely rewriting, a computer-aided dispatch system for police and fire departments. That's hmm. two years ago, so hopefully they're done. The original system was written in COBOL dum, dum, on, dum. on an HP 3000 mainframe, which I think is actually a mini computer, but let's, that's just slicing Close here. Close enough. And the data was very not normalized, like that sentence. <laughs> when the system was transitioned to Cobalt on Windows, because of reasons, there were pretty much ne- never-ending struggles between the original developers who liked the non-normalized data and the younger staff like myself who wanted to normalize all the things. Mm. As I've worked here for the past dozen years, I've been really struggling with this concept of the dispatch transactions that can't change keeping everything relational. The initial urge to always normalize it and perhaps create historical link records and so forth. But this conversation really crystallized what's been bouncing around in my head for a while. Dispatch data, which also needs to be super fast, read and writes, should be stored in a NoSQL database for record permanence. I think my biggest hesitation with this approach has always been ACID compliance. But since there are solutions that seem to support this as well, I think this conversation has finally pushed me over the edge. And I think he means that in a good way. I wanted to thank you guys for my continued great shows and for really helping me see more clearly the need to get out of my comfort zone and get to building software the way it needs to be built today, not the way I've always built it. Mm-hmm. Awesome, huh? Yeah. And, it's, and you know, I think back, we've done a bunch of shows building up to this idea of the role of the document store versus the role of the relational database. Sure, absolutely. Sounds like it impacted Matt. So, Matt, to go along with your change to mind, how about a .NET Rocks mug? So, the mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media sites. We post every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there, we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And, Matt, if you want to change your mind a little more, just fill that mug with something more interesting than coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Change your mind. 
Uh, and of course, you can follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And please send us tweets. We, uh, we read them. And now it's time to introduce Jeremy Miller. Jeremy is the director of software architecture at Extend Health. Jeremy began his software career writing shadow IT applications to automate his tedious engineering documentation. Then he wandered into software development because it looked like more fun. <laughs> Jeremy is heavily involved in open source.net development as the author of Structure Map, Storyteller, the lead developer of Martin, Martin, M-A-R-T-E-N, and the former leader of the FUBU MVC project. Jeremy occasionally manages to write about various software topics at jeremydmiller.com. Welcome back, Jeremy. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me today. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, we had you on the show back in 2008, didn't we? Yes. David Larrabee and I came on and talked about all.net when that was barely starting. That's right. That's right. Eight years ago. Things are a little different now, aren't they? Well, you would hope so after all this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if I remember the original mission of alt.net, I mean, it was really about don't just use the tools that Microsoft provides you. Look around. Your community's making some good things. There are other ways to build this. And I don't know if we ever, I don't think we entirely have reached that point, but I think that's just going to be a long process. I mean, we do see more open source things coming up. Uh, it's just it's probably not very prudent to try to compete with Microsoft offerings. Uh, I don't think you see people trying to do that as much anymore. But there's there's a lot of projects like like the Martin project we're going to talk about that kind of sprouted up that, that hit the gaps or just provide very alternative ways of doing things. But more than anything, I know at the time what I wanted to see was kind of more of a multipolar world. That right. there could be more of a .NET community completely outside of Microsoft. And it turns out there is now. I'm, .NET is less about Windows and Microsoft and more about C Sharp, I think, these days. Oh, I, I think so, but, but say F Sharp, too, so you don't get angry emails later. Yeah, you know, more about the languages. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And on the website, I mean, the tooling diversity has gotten pretty interesting. Like this, it's a more diverse world out there. Although I still meet plenty of developers that if it didn't come in the box in their MSDN subscription, they just don't look. And that's, that's still true. It's probably still true in some camps. I don't know what's ever going to solve that. Having a, having a package manager like Nougat definitely helps. It's a lot easier to grab things. And then I think the thing that might break that a little bit is people are doing so much more JavaScript client-side work where mm -hmm. it's very natural to use the NPM. You're pulling down a lot of open source frameworks. And maybe that attitude that you catch on the client side will filter back to the .NET side of development. So tell us about Martin. Well, so Martin's a pretty recent project. We started last fall after talking about doing this forever. Uh, we're trying to take the PostgreSQL database, which has gotten all kinds of cool new JSON features in its last couple of releases, and we're trying to treat PostgreSQL as a document database for doing .NET development. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've been looking for... We've been using RavenDB for several years, 
and we love the developer experience, but we wanted to move to something maybe a little more robust, with a, maybe a maybe better tooling for DevOps and ETL tools and backups and replication and just all those grown-up kind of things the DevOps people really want you to have. Yeah, right. We see them the possibility of using Postgres and their JSON features to have a fully leak-enabled persistence framework that we can use as maybe... We started off with the idea that it would be a drop-in replacement for RavenDB, but something very closely that mimics its usage. And then also, as kind of a secondary feature, we're also going to try to tag on uh, event sourcing support to replace some of our very, very old event store, uh, uh, original event store applications. Interesting. So you're counting on the infrastructure that is Postgres SQL for your backup and sort of the framework to live in, and then you're you're bolting on top of that a document store. Yes, and that's really all we are doing. We take advantage of their their JSON B data type. That's a very efficient binary storage of JSON documents, and the ability to look inside of that and query on top of that. Everything we're doing is just really helpers to, to help you manage and build a schema to support that, a link providers to be able to reach in and query against those JSON documents without necessarily having to know the Postgres SQL JSON operators, but also right. allowing you to completely drop all that and go straight at the Postgres tables. We still have the ability to drop down to the very lowest level of Postgres, write SQL directly against the against the tables and do anything you can possibly do if we don't already support it through Martin APIs. Can you talk a little bit more about JSONB? So JSONB, and you would really need a better Postgres expert for this, but JSONB, it's a data type they have where they are able to store a JSON document, but in a binary structure. Okay. So it's not necessarily text. And the advantage of that, it does make searching through the JSON documents considerably faster. Uh, I believe it also has a pretty good impact on storage space as well. Interesting. Because as soon as you said this, I'm like, this is blob storage the same way SQL Server has blob storage. But blobs are just are literally just binary data. You can't do anything with it. The fact that this is structured as JSON, I think actually makes it a little more palatable. I think it's more like binary XML. You know, sort of like taking the all the stuff that XML does and just shrinking it into a more uh, into a binary format. Not as readable, but faster. Definitely much faster. When we pull it down, when Martin pulls it down, we're still getting the JSON string using Newton Soft, Newton Soft or Jill or some other JSON serializer to turn it back into .NET objects. Mm-hmm. But inside the database, when you're searching how it's stored, and if you search, if you need to search within the JSON B document, you have a much more efficient data structure. Yeah, and this is way nicer than an actual binary lump. Like you did, you, you were saying, like I, I can go down in the Postgres and look at it. And I'm like, why would you do that? It's just a string of 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 binary digits. But oh no, it's JSON under the hood. And that turns out to be great, too, again, from supportability angle, that any time you can use any of the existing 
Postgres administrative tools or any tool, JetBrains Data Grip, whatever it's going to be. And you can look at the document tables. And even with the JSON B, it's still presented as a JSON string. Right. So our, our DevOps people, our developers, testers, they're going to have a lot of tools to be able to work with the Martin data and troubleshoot things. So this gets back to your original point of, I wanted all those DevOpsy tools around my database, but I also still wanted the document store. And so because Data Grip, for example, works so nicely with Postgres, and, and you are actually just storing your data in Postgres, you get that. I think we need to talk a little bit about event sourcing, too, which is a different way to store data, isn't it? It is. So one of the and one of the themes we've we're hitting with uh, Martin is the idea of uh, polyglot persistence. That by building on Postgres, we can go document database and inside of the same application, same database, and even inside the same transactions, we can use it as raw, a raw relational database, or we can use event source, which isn't there. But I'm working on that for the next next release. And so with event sourcing, we want, and you were talking about this in some of the introduction with the user, user email. We want to store the, a record of the events. What right. were the changes? So rather than trying to store the final, the final state as the official record, we're storing the transactions, yes. or a record of the transactions, what changed in, in the state of the system. Well, this is, this is financial transactions to the letter, right? You don't store the balance on the account. You store all the transactions in the account, and the sum of that is the balance. I was account. just going to say that, Richard. This is exactly what we do in, in Ledger software, is uh, that any time you make a change to any field, you, you record it as a change, not as a – you don't just change the data. Yeah. Or a SQL transaction log, for that matter. Yes. And so, and again, we're taking advantage of Postgres's JSONB type. The event table, it's just going to store the raw event as, as JSONB again. Uh, the challenging part, building just the event store persistence isn't that bad. There's a, there's a fantastic paper online by Greg Young, pretty well lays out exactly how to do it. <clears throat> the challenging thing is now that we have these events, how can we project these to some kind of aggregated data that we can see and use and, and user interfaces or when we're handling messages or whatever that's going to be? So that's, that's actually one of the next big challenges we're trying to tackle uh, with the event store, to be able to take a stream of events and have those kind of played back until you can get the true state. So playing back all those bank transactions and coming up with a document that says, this is your current balance. And how's the performance of it compared to like a RavenDB? Uh, it's very early from the early users. Uh, it looks like it is. A, it does look like it's a positive change over Raven. The the biggest advantage we probably have, uh, just just because of Postgres, not because of us. Uh, it's fully asset compliant all the way through. Mm-hmm. So there is no eventual consistency on your reads. So as soon as we write a document, you can immediately turn around and query against the, the document itself, not just by, by primary key, but reach in and query immediately because hmm. it's has to plan all the way through. That makes a huge difference on your performance, not having to wait for the read side to catch up with your writes. 
Yeah, I mean, there's different elements here about making data store go fast, right? Certainly the uncoupling of your your read source from your write source, but also this idea that, you know, you've completed the transaction the moment you write the document. In that sense, it's like we've got the data, the data is safe, you can let the customer go. And whatever you want to do after that is up to you. Do it asynchronously. You don't need the customer around to wait for that. Well, there's that part of it. But for right now, our read side is is, is synchronous as well. Right. That's If you work with some other document databases or NoSQL, there's, there's an element of eventual consistency that, yeah, we've captured your data, but the, the read state of the, the data store may not catch up for a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's Facebook, right? Facebook has taught the world eventual consistency. <laughs> and sometimes that's great for us as developers or making systems more efficient, but uh, users really don't like that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. We just we just got them used to it. If you post your update to Facebook and immediately check for it, don't see it, so you post it again, and in a few minutes, there's going to be two. Okay. Well, uh, Martin is on GitHub and, uh, that's at, uh, github.com slash jasperfx slash Martin. And, and we also need to say that's with an E, M-A-R-T-E-N. And you just pronounce it yeah. Martin, right? You know, I, I, I'll be ashamed if that's, that's not exactly how it's said. We've been calling it Martin, but it's, uh, it's based off of the, uh, the little rodent animals. Yeah. They're sort of big weasels. They're really aggressive, actually. Uh, I've, I've got to tell you, I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever seen one outside of a zoo. Yeah, they're very shy, but uh, mean, very aggressive. When they, If you're a rabbit, you don't like Martins. Why the name? Well, uh, I need to be a little bit ashamed of this, but it caught on. So I had started working on it, uh, and uh, my boss was, was chatting with me one day and said, well, you aren't going to call it such and such, which was exactly the name I was using at the no. time. <laughs> so I said, uh, no, and without trying to poke, be too eye-pokey here, I did a search on what are the natural predators of ravens. Oh, and, no oh, kidding. <laughs> that's awesome. So, and, and it was right as I was telling the story of how Selenium is named Selenium because Selenium is the cure for mercury poisoning. Yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> uh, but the, it stuck, and I found all kinds of cool, creative, common pictures of Martins that showed up on the website, and it just stuck. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those things that went, you know, I've accidentally named software that way, too. And once the name sticks, you're hooped, right? That's what people are going to call it. Yep. <laughs> well, it's... As long as it's easy to, to Google. Now, I wasn't aware until we recorded this that there was another Postgres-related project called Martin. That, yeah. that one caught me off guard. It's a graphical user interface for Mac database apps, and it works with Postgres. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did the customary thing. I searched GitHub to see if there was a project with that name, made sure there wasn't anything from the .NET side, and just yeah. took it fast. Oh, well. All the good names are running out, so. But it's yep. funny, they, they obviously named it for a different reason. <laughs> it's a GUI. Yeah, totally, totally different mindset entirely. Yeah. So, when using Martin, I mean, the whole point here is I don't have to think about Postgres now. I have a set of APIs that I can basically just put my document, get my document, search for documents. I, 
Correct. You don't have to think about Postgres, but you can't always, even through Martin itself, you can't always go straight to Postgres SQL to get down to the covers. You can also, if you want to, uh, we have some users that are also integrating it with Dapper. Dapper, yeah. One of the micro RMs for .NET. So from the same transaction, you could also be using Dapper. But for normal usage of the document database, you're, it's not even just that you don't have to think about Postgres, but because it is a document database, you don't have to be thinking about your ORM mappers or table structures or anything like that. You can just work and save your documents as long as they can be serialized to and from JSON. Now, you know, this Postgres has come up several times in the course of the last whatever years on .NET Rocks, but I don't know if we ever really did a show on it or talked about what the, what the you know, pros and cons of Postgres are. Do you want to riff on that for just a minute or two? Well, so I can't go into it too far. I mean, what I can tell you, at least, at least for us, it's, um, it's a very vibrant community. They're putting out releases one right after the another, and they're adding features that I'd never really thought of databases being able to do. Uh, just just for the sake of Martin, the JSON features, uh, being able to merge JSON doc- documents, search mm. between them, but also we haven't utilized this enough yet. We have enough proof of concepts. We can run JavaScript directly inside of Postgres. Hmm. Wow. You start talking about what can you do, what kind of queries or transformations you can do against JSON documents. By being able to embed bad JavaScript. It's using Google's V8 engine. We've got proof of concepts where we can do a lot of the the JSON projection work directly in the database. Mm, nice. So like taking um taking the example of if you're using a pretty common architecture where you might be using something like Unity Framework or in Hibernate, uh say so you've got a you want to get a document, some kind of hierarchical document out of the database and it's got to do all that mapping, and it pulls down the crazy SQL statement with all the outer joints so it can do it one time, and then it's got to spin it up into your object. But before you spin it down to the web page, you might run something like AutoMapper or, or translate your raw entities into something more friendly for the web page or web service, whatever it is. If yeah. we were doing this with Postgres with Martin, what you might say is, I can either go grab the whole document and just grab it as a string, skip the serialization step completely. Yeah. Or I could even say, I want this document, but I want it transformed into this smaller subset that I'll actually send to the web page or across a, a JSON post. Okay. So I could invoke live, I could invoke a little JavaScript function to do that quick transform and get it back out for me and never really not have to do very much in my middle tier at all. Well, hold that thought. We'll get back to that in a minute. But right now, Richard, you know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time for me to weasel out of a funnier Martin joke <laughs> than this one. <laughs> okay, it was funny for me. <laughs> I knew they were kind of a weasel. Well, yeah, I'm weaseling out of a funnier Martin joke than this one. That's what I'm doing. It <laughs> doesn't explain all the other jokes this week. No, it doesn't. But, you know, at least this one, 
It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Floyd May. Congratulations, Floyd. Golf clap for you. Golf clap for Floyd. Congratulations, Floyd. Floyd just won the D-Experience subscription. A big pile of awesome from Developer Express. If you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you've got to sign up to win. And uh, we'd like to ask our guest, Jeremy, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? I would probably, uh, I'd probably try to talk to my wife into letting me have a pinball table. A pinball table, not just a, not just one game, but a table or you just mean a pinball machine? Oh, just a pinball machine is what I meant. Okay. You mean like one of the old eighties ones from the arcade? I would say. I would say one of the mid-90s. Really? Okay. Aha! The Pinball Company. A refurbished Star Wars trilogy pinball machine. Ha! $6,000 from 1997. Here's a name you guys might remember. Korgar. Korgar, the pinball machine. Korgar. With a big beating heart. So, uh, my mentor in the business, Ethan Weiner. He has one of those in his house from an arcade. Nice. Yeah, it's like a bally game or something, pinball machine. I, I know which one you mean. There are Game of Thrones pinball machines. Wow. I'm at the pinballcompany.com. The limited edition Game of Thrones machine is 9000 bucks new. Well, there are people out there that buy them. They all need a hobby. Look at I guess this. so. I love pinball. Yeah, Not fun. enough to waste some space in my house on it but you know <laughs> that's the biggest thing with a pinball machine the room right yeah i mean these things are is six seven feet long yeah all right i want to get back to this because you know back in the early 2000s when the clr made it into sql server you know everybody was like oh be careful you know don't put business logic in there just do things that transform data and all of that stuff and you know you look at something like postgres which is much more than a database it it has all these sort of middle middle level features that uh is that different is it a different story because i mean you know your typical dba from the year 2003 was probably a lot more anal retentive than a dba on a postgres database is in 2016 do you think what's the difference there oh i don't think dbas ever change <laughs> 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 you said it, man. Not me. We're not, talk- we're not talking about about stuffing a lot of business logic. We're only talking about being able to put JavaScript, being able to host <clears throat> very just raw JavaScript. 
Um, For the purposes of transforming data, right? Yes, and no other reason. Even things, even things like doing aggregation and summarization, which you could technically do with the JavaScript to kind of building things up as they change. Mm. Any kind of aggregation or summary is probably still more efficient by running, you know, old-fashioned group bytes. But before we get off the subject, I... I mean, remember, you can write .NET code in SQL Server. You shouldn't, but you could. Good. I, I have to I have to admit that uh, I built a system in the very early 2000s that used Java stored procedures in Oracle 8.1.5. Wow. It was miserable to deploy, but it did work really well. But I would also think it bugger to debug too, right? Like just very challenging to figure out when things go wrong. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as I recall, you would write the code. You would write the code as if it ran outside of it and then uh, shut it up in the database and hope things were okay. Uh, and, <laughs> and I would say too, even working with JavaScript inside, running inside of Postgres, even in that case, that's, a little tricky to do, uh, or the debugging, the debugging story was kind of hard. You're you're back to caveman hey debugging where you just throw a bunch of console statements out. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we'll be able to do this with the transforms. They will just be straight up. You'll have a text file and you'll write a write a straight up JavaScript function. Uh, it'll be loaded up. We've we've been able to fake out Common JS. Uh, so that the the Martin pieces of the JavaScript will be able to just use your function as is. So you could take those JavaScript functions, do the tra- test the transform stuff completely in things like Mocha test runners, and test all that logic out completely independently of Postgres. Or at least that's the theory. Hmm. What are some of the challenges that you ran into when developing Martin? Well, so writing the link provider, it's yeah. a, that's a non-trivial undertaking. And it's something, uh, one of my coworkers and I have kicked this idea around for a couple of years. And I was always intimidated to try to write a link, link parser. Uh, but the relink library, uh, same thing that any framework uses, makes that somewhat easier. But you have to be pretty good with reflection and the expression Library or the expression namespace in .NET, mm. but that's that's been something we've been able to get through. And that's fine. We've had a lot of work in in terms of optimization. Uh, <clears throat> so it's not bad reaching in and querying across the document, but we've been able to do tricks like if you're really going to be consistently searching on one or two fields of a document, so we'll we'll let you duplicate that field. So it's written in the JSON, but we'll also write it into just a normal normal database field. So the link nice. provider is smart enough to know when I see what we call a searchable duplicated field, that it will construct the where clause with that raw field on the search. And that makes a huge difference in, in optimization, or read side optimization. So, I mean, what I love in here is one of the reasons a lot of people go to document stores or NoSQL stores entirely is they've complained that relational databases are just not fast enough. And you're saying, hey, when my document store is not fast enough, you can use relational to go faster. Yeah, that's not. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> sort of the opposite, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, but there's there's a key thing here, though, though, Richard. We're 
using the document database, you're very seldomly using any kind of joins. Right. There's much yeah. less room for evil. When you're pulling out, <laughs> pulling out a document, a hierarchy of data, you're, if you're grabbing one document, you're grabbing it by primary key and grabbing it out of one, one table. That's going to be right. pretty quick as opposed to, you know, if you're using an ORM or just a relational database, you're pulling it through all kinds of joins, several tables. There's just a lot more room, uh, a lot more opportunity to screw things up that way. At the same time, in a document store, if you say, hey, here's a query where I want this particular attribute from this hierarchy of objects across all of these uh, documents, that's brutal. Now, in that case, so that, that's a challenge that we haven't made yet. So one of the getting better, better query for these kind of read side things. In that case, in that case, Richard, we might we might opt for allowing you to make a copy of the document, make a partial copy of the document to a normal relational database base table. And if you get into a lot of group buys and aggregations, and I only want to grab this one field out of that, right? It may be much more efficient to use the relational side of things than trying to pull from the JSON every time. Well, another way to describe what you're talking about there is you're using the relational table as an index into the documents. And, and that's something, so that's what we are doing with these, this searchable duplicated field as well. Right. You can still, you can still put indices. It does put a B-tree index on it by, by default. It's all very configurable. But yep. you have all, so you have all of the built-in Postgres SQL tricks at your disposal. When we talked to Ayende Rahin about RavenDB the last time, he was saying that, you know, the, the performance is extremely good when you're reading. And when you're writing, the, the writes are sort of delayed because, uh, you know, it's not as important to have records that you just wrote be available immediately. Another thing that he said, and I'm bringing this up for comparison reasons. I want to know how it compares. Another thing he said is that indexes are made on the fly asynchronously behind the scenes and then, and, and constantly remade. Like they're always being rebuilt and remade. Is that how, um, how Martin works as well? No. And, uh, I'm going to respectfully disagree with Oren. Uh, on some of that. Uh, so their approach has been problematic for us in production. In production, testing time, and even development time sometimes. Uh, so the indices, the indices that are there, they're just Postgres indices. Uh, even the, there are some special gist or gen indices against the JSON B blob itself. But as just like a normal normal relational database, when you're making writes, it's creating the indices on the fly. It's updating the indexes as you do inserts and, and updates, upserts. So it, in development time, there is no concept of the wait for non-stale results uh, like, like you do run across with RavenDB. Mm. Uh, that, that's something that we have had trouble with in production with RavenDB when the indices go wrong or the asynchronous rebuild of those indexes can't keep up. So, so when I write a record, does that 
uh, write statement come back after it is actually written or is there any caching or any sort of middle ground there? When it's committed, it's, it's in. All right. You can do it, you can do it asynchronously, but it is fully asset compliant. Okay. All the way through. Yeah, that's right. You did mention that. Yeah, that is a bit different. And, and yet your performance is, is out, you're outperforming Raven is what you said also. From, from the limited data set that we have now. Yes. Hmm. It's not, it's not anything magic that we're doing. It's the Postgres engine underneath that that's giving us that. Yeah. And and I got to think, while performance is important, you know, you led this conversation more with the, I wanted all of the features of a robust data store, right. the, the backup and, you know, incrementals and, and management tools and so forth. You know, speed's a funny thing. I, there is such a thing as fast enough. Hmm. Well, there's, there's fast enough, and, but we've also put a lot of effort into things like being able to batch up SQL statements. When you when you commit a unit of work in Martin, you know, say you create five documents, you delete want to delete a couple others, and you update three others. When you call save changes on that open session, it's trying to use just one one network round trip, bundle up all the the changes in one underlying SQL statement, and send that to Postgres all at one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that. From from the testing we did, that did make a pretty big difference over sending one one ADO command at a time. There are some things we've done inside of Martin to try to be as fast as possible. And not you you haven't actually poked into the Postgres code base per se. You're just sitting on top of it because I mean Postgres is an open source project. You could contribute a document store into the body of Postgres. I, I don't think you really need to do build it straight into Postgres. They give yeah. you all the raw tools. Uh, so we use the uh, the open source NPG SQL tool. Sorry, I have to say that slowly. <laughs> that, that's the, op- the open source ADO.net providers for Postgres. Right. Uh, I, I suppose it could be in the Postgres, but you still need the .NET client. The .NET client that makes it look like a .NET, a .NET library. And, and that's where, that's the little niche where Martin's coming into play. That's cool. I've just I've forgotten this. I worked on Postgres. Uh, I had a project in Postgres, I think, in like the 2001, 2002 era. And, of course, it was an open source project then. It, it just speaks to how much GitHub dominates our thinking that because it's not on GitHub, you don't think it's open source. This has been around longer than, than, than GitHub has. Yeah. But it is Git. It does use Git. Well, and that's, that might be a valuable point, too, to say. So I've, I've been doing open source for over a decade now, but this is the first big thing I've started since that started on GitHub and things like Gitter and with having Twitter around in the first place. And it does make a big difference. I, I feel like it's made it a lot easier to attract attention. Uh, we're up to 13 or 14 contributors so far. There's great. always a lot of chatter in our Gitter room. And that a lot of great feedback and ideas and that kind of thing did not happen even five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that what GitHub's got going for it is the almost social media like element of sharing source code and conversing about source code. I'd agree with that. I mean, we're using, 
And we use GitHub to track all of our issues, which really becomes not just bugs, but a feature list. And sure. then call out, the, call out the Gitter tool as well. That, that's uh, that's the chat, chat room app that's based on GitHub repository. Right. Yeah. That's, that's definitely been a big, big positive for us. Yeah, no, I, I've been looking at Gitter. You know, I've been hosting the list of the geek outs for .NET Rocks on Feet Hub, which actually uses your GitHub account. It's a place to vote on features for your GitHub projects. And while there's not actually a project underlying the geek outs per se, I was almost thinking that Gitter might be a nice way to add on the conversational elements of what geek outs we should do next. I'm abusing GitHub here, I think. Oh, absolutely. Well, plus it has it has some intelligent integration back to your original GitHub repo. You know, right. things like referencing issues that give you nice links and allows you to do markdown in the uh, markdown and code formatting in the window too. That helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's next for you guys? What's your next step? So for us, so really in my in my work leave any week now, we're going to start trying to convert a, a very large application to Martin. And that's when a lot of ease of use things, I think, will fall out. Trying to figure out how we're going to manage schema schema creation. Yeah, It's all fun and games in development mode where you just say, just create things on the fly as you need them. But how are we going to translate to, to, to production when we're not going to allow you to do that anymore? Um, Adding some of the event sourcing, there's still a little more optimization, a, a lot more of that read side things we were talking about. Yep. And um, a lot of it now is it's projection work of being able to pull partial documents out or be able to say, I want to pull down these five fields from, from the document. This, all those kinds of ways to be more efficient on the read side of, of, uh, the application database. Yeah. All right, good. This is very application-specific, isn't it, right? Like, some apps, it's all about write speed. Like, if you're doing order entry, it's get the record done so you can get the person out of there and get the next order process. And in some apps, it's all about the read speed. Well, and that's very true. Uh, Just right now, we need to get... I I feel good about us on the right side. We need to to still have more features for the read side. Right. And specifically querying? Well, querying, and our link support's not bad, but people, users still come up with little, come up with things that I haven't, had not thought of. And and that's, that's a great way to get pull requests in. But that idea of projections or aggregations or pulling transform documents down. Um, and back to that, that kind of that Greg Young kind of thinking that what's stored at permanent application state, it's never exactly what you need to send down, you know, based right. on API calls or sending down to a web application. So that last mile of going from database state to what exactly you really need to send down to web clients or HTTP clients or why not. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see a more a larger diversity of apps using this. But I mean, there's so many ways to do document storage. You know, Raven, obviously, Mongo. Um, it's it. I, but I totally, you know, I, when I put my IT hat on and you talk to me about Martin and and backing it with Postgres, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yep, I get that. 
Good stuff. <laughs> That's the hope. Well, Jeremy, uh, are you going to be speaking at any conferences soon? Well, I'm, I'm just kind of waiting to hear. Uh, trying to get out to .NET Fringe this year in Portland. Uh, missed it last year, and it sounded like everybody had a great time. And it was good fun. Yep. Loved it. Uh, of course it was, because I didn't get to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm hoping to get to, to go out to NDC Oslo this year. But that was a little harder set all, all the way around. Yeah. Also a lot of fun. Well, we yeah, hope to see you at one of those places. And if we don't, uh, you know, keep doing what you do. It's great. Thanks, guys. All right, Jeremy. Thanks a lot. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a toy.